they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Wow, Mary Danielle. We just left the Bible with the, excuse me, the Terry and Jesse show in Studio B. I walk over to see you in, in Studio A. Uh, for those who are just coming on for the first time because of the Terry and Jesse show, welcome. Welcome. And all of you thousands of new YouTube listeners, every single Monday I check 1,000, 2,000 new people. Praise God. Praise God. Because you know what? God. We only have one purpose here. We want to share the gospel with you. Amen. And help you get to heaven. Amen. So t- today's topic, Mary? Well, today's topic is going to be um, <clears throat> is going to be birth control, uh, but but more family life. What is family life oh, about? What is great. what does the gospel teach us about family life? What is awesome? What is this whole question about birth control? But we want to um, take a look at today's readings. Always, that's the format for the brand new people is always the gospel or the first reading of the mass. And then you do what we call an exegesis, which is an explanation. Right. And I, I want to actually look a little bit at both. Okay. The, um, we have the, the gospel reading, but we also have the first reading. I think this... Can, can I back up just for those who are brand new? Mary Danielle has a master's in biblical studies from St. John Paul II. Ah, I call it St. John Paul II, the great university in San Diego. So that might be something that, um, you know, that they'll understand why she's so much into the Bible. All right, go ahead. Right, I, I, I um, it was a great blessing to, to, to study, to go back to school and get my master's degree in my mid fifties. Actually, it was that wasn't early on in life; that was a later. But it was. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to God. I'm grateful for the, the priest who kind of lit the fire under me to tell me to do that, and then um, and for doing it. Mm-hmm. So we have the first letter um, of Saint, a reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. It's Philippians three seventeen through four one. This is the verse reading for today's Mass. That's Friday of the 31st week of Ordinary Time. And it is First Friday, by the way. This is First Friday. is always in honor of the Sacred yes. Heart of Jesus. If you can get to a church to make a visit to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, that would be wonderful. But um, do pray prayers in honor of Jesus in, in the Blessed Sacrament and in honor of his Sacred Heart. So Paul tells the Philippians this. Join with others in being imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and observe those who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. For many, as I have often told you, and now tell you even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Mm. Their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enabled him also to bring all things into subjection to himself. Hmm. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, beloved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That really hit me when I was reading this reading this morning and then heard it at Mass. Mm-hmm. What is he saying here? You know, he's saying, first of all, he holds himself up as an example. So we have this tendency in our Christian world today to say, you know, well, we shouldn't brag about what we're doing. Well, no, we shouldn't brag about what we're doing. But Paul says, be imitators of me, brothers and sisters. And... And also of others who conduct themselves. Well, what is he talking about? 
Are they conducting themselves in accord with the gospel? Are they being faithful to what Christ has taught? Then you should imitate that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Paul holds himself up as an example of that. And then he goes on to say that there are many, and he tells us, I say this with tears. You know, we don't rejoice over sin, and we don't rejoice when people give themselves into sin, and we don't condemn the sinner, but we do condemn the sin. Amen. And we have to make that distinction. We pray for those who are locked into sin and who are living a worldly life. What does he say? He says, they conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ tells us that we have to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross and follow Christ. We, we embrace the sufferings of the present moment. We embrace the struggles of this life. We don't try and run away from them. And we offer them in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. And that, that makes us a better person. And he goes on to say, their end is destruction. If we become enemies of the cross of Christ, we will end in destruction. And he's talking about spiritual destruction, right. eternal destruction in hell. Our souls will go to hell. If we don't give up our sins, we will end up in hell for all eternity. We have to repent of our sins. God doesn't just forgive us. We have to repent. We need to repent of our sins. You know, when you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's waiting to forgive you. He's always ready. It's like the, 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 you know, the father in the story of the, the prodigal son. You know, the father is watching for the son to come home. But the son can't receive the father's forgiveness until he comes home to the embrace of the father. He has to arise and go back to his father and say, I'm sorry, I sinned. And then he receives the forgiveness of the father. What I'm hearing you say is what we call authentic uh, Christianity, not fake uh, news where uh, you don't, uh, you can say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but never repent and you still get to go to heaven. That's a false gospel. That is a false gospel. Because we need repentance, repentance. to believe, to believe in Jesus. Right. And that was a matter of fact, when Jesus preached the good news of the, of the kingdom of God, repent. Mm-hmm. and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repetition is the mother of learning. So he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things. So we're not supposed to be occupied with just earthly things. Is Paul saying we have to, we neglect our duty or we don't take care of the things of this world or take care of our families? No, but our, our, our we shouldn't be living for self-indulgence of the flesh. If we're living for self-indulgence of the flesh, then we're enemies of the cross of Christ. And their glory is in their shame. He's referring to sin. They glorify their sin. They think it's wonderful. This is so good. This is so freeing. This is so liberating. No, actually it's not. When we sin, it's not liberating and freeing at all. It degrades us as human beings. It degrades us and it destroys us and it makes us slaves. We become slaves of our flesh and our passions and incapable actually of serving God. And, but he warns us, instead of being occupied with earthly things, he means you don't have your heart set on the things of this earth. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven from where we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things and to subject him to himself. So Jesus Christ is going to change our bodies. We're supposed to live in this world as if we have no finality in this world because our finality is heaven. Our finality is union with God. We're supposed to begin to live that union with God right here and now. And in doing so, we're supposed to give up attachment to the things of this world, even legitimate things. Definitely give up all sin because that's not legitimate and it does destroy us. 
So then we go on and look for our heavenly homeland. And we begin to live here on earth as if we were living in heaven by being generous, by giving to the poor, by feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty and clothing the naked and visiting the imprisoned and the sick and burying the dead and praying for the living and the dead and and giving instruction to the ignorant and counseling the doubtful and admonishing the sitter, all the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. These are the works God has prepared for us. And we do these things as a way of subjecting our bodies to to the cross, uniting ourselves to the cross of Christ and all this in union with the cross of Christ. And then we will have heaven as a goal, and that should be our goal. And if we get too wound up in the things of this earth, you know, if we start thinking that, you know, well, I'm just here to have a good time today, and I don't have to worry about tomorrow, or entertainment is the reason why I exist, or, um, you know, whatever rules I make up for today, that's fine. Whatever I feel is good or right makes it right. No, honey, the truth is a person. It's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. You know, Mary, while I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of how much inf- how much time we spend learning things on this planet, which are important, read, write, right. communicate. Uh, but when you really think about life is so short yeah. that if we don't take time to read God's word yeah. and spend time in prayer Amen. and get distracted, and I use the word distracted Absolutely. by you know, the sports, by yeah. entertainment, right. and Ask ourselves, this is the question I'm asking myself at age 64 now. Uh, do you really think I'm going to regret not watching enough baseball games <laughs> at the end of my life? No. No. What I'm going to regret, I hope not, but I, it would seem like is I didn't spend enough time to get to know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And I didn't spend enough time in my prayer life to get to know him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really... Personal encounter with Christ in our prayer life. And that's why we read the Gospels. By the way, the church is very clear. If you want to know the Christ of history, the Gospels. You want to know the Jesus of faith, the Gospels. You know, there's only one Jesus, you know, the the Gospels. Okay. And in the Gospel, Jesus tells this parable of the rich steward. This is Luke 16, 1 through 8. I won't read it. I'll summarize it Mm -hmm. because of time. But the steward was going to be dismissed because he had been unjust. And he's like, well, gosh, I'm not, I'm too weak to, to dig ditches and I, I'm ashamed to beg. So what am I going to do so that I'll have some friends and I'll have someone supporting me? So he decides to call in his master's debtors and he has them change their invoices. And the master praises the steward for being prudent. Is he praising the un- injustice of the steward? No, he's not. But he's saying this man is being prudent in, in how to take care of his future. And he, but then Jesus, is, his point is, what are, how do we do this? Is we, the otherworldly, the worldly are wiser in dealing with their own than the otherworldly. And that ties to the first reading too, doesn't it? The worldly, do we have a worldly mind? And we're so wise in worldly ways, like the current political situation in our country, where you have even a question that, that a candidate who wants to support the destruction of human life received so many votes that we have to count all the votes again? Well, what are we saying? What does life mean to us? Where is our priority? Wow, Mary, when we come back, we'll talk more about how the Bible needs to be in all of our lives and how we can tie that into our family life. Because, again, you're listening to the Bible with Barbara. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com Code VMPR Live Porn Free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. If you shop on Amazon.com, there's an easy way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just visit smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center under the desired charity. Now, when you log into your Amazon account and purchase products, a portion of it will automatically go to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio at no cost to you. Thanks in advance for supporting CRC and VMPR, and may God richly bless you and your family. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show, and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. That was quick. Welcome back. That was quick. <laughs> so in this gospel of today, uh, again, we Jesus isn't saying that the, the unrighteousness of the... Uh, um, the steward is to be is to be imitated or or um, lauded. What he's saying is that we should exercise prudent, great, great prudence in working out our salvation. That if we believe that we are called to, like the first reading says, to have our our citizenship in heaven, and we're supposed to be looking for a home in heaven, and we don't have a lasting place in this world then we need to be living like we believe that. And, and I think that's very apropos for today's topic because mm-hmm. the topic we wanted to talk about today was someone had asked me, you know, can you do something on, on birth control? Right. And we call it birth control. And it's interesting. Bishop Sheen made a comment once about this whole notion that the, in, the, in the modern world we use this topic birth control. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let's look at it. Let's take this apart. What is it, what is it really? Is it birth control well, no, what they're trying to do is they're trying to not have children. So, yes, they're con- trying to control the number of births, but what happens in, in birth control, you have no birth and no control. <laughs> so the human person doesn't have to have control over their faculties, which the first reading talked about. Um, you know, th- their glory is in their shame. And, and what do we have in our modern world? 
We have a sexualized world where people are glorying in the degradation of the human person through the misuse of their sexuality. And so, and, and the, the fact is, what did God create in the beginning? And, and how do we know if we never read the book? Well, let's go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And what does it say? It says that, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle and all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God made man in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And when he makes man, he makes man in his own image. Is God a solitude unto himself? Well, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. But there are indications here. God says something in here. He says, let us make man in our image. And the reality is, is that God is a trinity of persons. He's not a solitude. And we, we can know that God exists through faith, through, without faith, excuse me. That God exists is not an article of faith. But that God is a trinity of persons, we can only know through faith. We can only know through God's revelation. Mm -hmm. So God reveals himself, and not all at once. In the Old Testament, he couldn't reveal himself as a trinity of persons explicitly because the people, they would have thought that he's th three gods, and they would have been worshiping three gods. He's not three gods. Nope. He's three persons, one God, one divine nature shared by three persons who are co-equal, co-eternal, and man is made in his image. Well, God is fruitful then within himself. He is love and he is life because God is love, right? We were told that eventually in the scriptures. God is love. John tells us that in his letter. And that love is fruitful. We know it's fruitful because there's a father, there's a son, and there's a Holy Spirit. And the father begets the son, and the father and the son spirate the Holy Spirit. So that love is fruitful. So God makes the man in his image so man is supposed to be loving and fruitful mm -hmm. the two go together and he creates marriage now you can say oh well you know there are those who like to say oh well marriage was just a you know it's just uh, what was it somebody once wrote it was created created to enslave women and children really right. is that what it was or was it to give women and children freedom or was it actually god made marriage to image his own reality so that man was supposed, he's made in God's image. He's supposed to image God in everything that he does. He's supposed to show to the world who God is in himself, love and life, that he is loving and he is always fruitful. So in the scriptures, we have this in the beginning, the, the first, and this is interesting because in his theology of the body, John Paul II goes back to the beginning. How did God make man? Well, he made him in his image. And unfortunately, you have, you, know, in the, you, you have the problem right away in the beginning. God makes man. He makes him in his image. And um, he makes Adam first. And then we have, you know, the, the, where God creates Eve out of the side of Adam. And Adam gets to name all the creatures. And he finds none like himself. He finds not a suitable partner. So we know that there is no animal that's a suitable partner for man. And, and animals aren't people, too. <laughs> You know, with all due respect for you, to, to our feelings, right. they're not people. 
People are persons. People are made in God's image. And they're quite distinct from the animals. Because we're made in God's image, we're very distinct from the animals. The animals aren't made in God's image. And so God allows Adam to name all the animals. And Adam doesn't find um, anything like himself, anyone like himself. So then in Genesis 2, God puts Adam into a deep sleep and he creates Eve. And he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And we're told that the man and woman were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because there was no sin. And they didn't see each other as objects to be used. They saw one another as persons to be loved. And they were there to serve one another, to give. When I have full possession of myself, I give myself freely to another as a gift. And that can be in service or it can be in marriage in a very unique way, in marriage in the conjugal embrace. But I have to have that full possession of myself. And Adam and Eve had that. And they gave each other to, they gave themselves to each other as a gift so that Adam no longer belonged to himself. He belonged to Eve. And Eve no longer belonged to herself. She belonged to Adam. This is what marriage is. And this is what God created. But then we have what? Oh, well, enter sin. Yep. You know, and some people say, well, you know, in the beginning, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And, and so that was all good. But then when sin came in, then what? Well, God chastises them for their sin. And, he, you know, he tells them, now things are different. I created a perfect paradise for you. Everything was going to be easy. Now you're going to have to struggle and work hard. But he still tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And Eve, his wife, becomes the mother of all the living. And so God doesn't take away the blessing of offspring because of sin. And what's interesting is even after in Genesis 6, when mm -hmm. God destroys the world because of the flood. Right. Again, man is given the command to be fruitful and multiply. So the blessing of marriage and family was not lost by the sin of Adam. And it wasn't washed away in the flood. And even in the exile, in the book of Jeremiah 29, 4 through 6, when the people are in exile, God again tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Mm. So God never takes back that command to be fruitful and multiply. Now, is that saying that every time a husband and wife have conjugal relations, they're supposed to have a child come from that? No, that's just not a physical possibility. <laughs> Study biology. There are times when a woman is not fertile. She can't conceive a child. And, and even if a person is sterile, that doesn't mean they can't get married, even if they know it. I mean, let's say someone had uterine cancer or ovarian cysts and they had to have their ovaries removed before they even got married. Does that exclude their possibility of getting married? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So the, the children are a blessing from God. And, and how do we know that? Yeah. You know, how do we know that children are a blessing from God? Where do we get that idea? Right in the Bible. It's in the Bible. We have the children. First of all, God says, be fruitful and multiply. There you go. He's fruitful. God is love and life, and he is fruitful. He is always giving himself. The father is always giving himself to the son. The son is always giving himself back to the father. The Holy Spirit is always spirating from that love embrace and giving himself back to the father and the son. So there's this, this, community of love and life and it's called the trinity it's called god and he made us to image that in our own lives and so when we as human beings decide that we have a better idea now has there ever been any question about how marriage should be 
Well, it's interesting because as soon as sin came into the world and you had sin multiplying on the earth and you had people living wicked lives and, and turning away from God, you immediately had the degradation of marriage. Yeah. With all the pagan peoples, there was no respect for the, for the marriage bond to exist between one man and one woman for life. And even in the Old Testament after sin, you have the patriarchs, most of them had more than one wives, one wife. One wife, mm-hmm. sorry. David had more than one wife. It was some, somebody posted that the other day, you know, that people like to cr- criticize Donald Trump because he lived this, this playboy life, but he's had a conversion and he's actually apologized for things that he said and did before he became president of this United States and actually had a conversion. But someone put up, would God choose to rule a nation, a man who was an adulterer <laughs> and, a, and, and even, even cover, you know, and, and, and had many wives yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And they said, oh, oh, and by the way, his name is David. Exactly. He was the, first, he was the king of Israel, the second king of Israel. And, and not only that, he wrote the book of Psalms. Right. He wrote a book in the Bible. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, we sin, but we can change. But in the Old Testament, God did tolerate polygamy among the patriarchs. And he also tolerated divorce. He allowed Moses to allow the people to divorce. But what does Jesus tell him? He said, that was because of the hardness of your heart. Because of the hardness of your heart, I tolerated divorce. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way my father made it in the beginning. One man, one woman for life. And that union between those spouses is supposed to be open to life. We don't do, and, and what is, you know, the whole question in the modern world was, well, and I heard this. I remember when I was studying this in theology in college and, and the professor said, well, the only reason the church condemned contraceptives is because People in you know the ancient world and even in the Middle Ages, when they wanted contraceptives, they went to witches because they knew certain herbs that would were actually <laughs> abortifacients. They would they would render the the the, the uterus un, um, a unfriendly environment to the baby that's been conceived, and so the baby would be be a spontaneous abortion. All right, and. Is that why the church condemned the use of contraception? Or is there a deeper reason? And I think that's what Paul VI pointed out mm-hmm. in Humani Vitae, is there's a deeper reason, because what did he call it? He said contraception is intrinsically evil. He also predicted all the things that we've experienced if the world would not go along with uh, the mentality of the conjugal act being open to life. And he, he pointed out that divorce rate would go up, um, that, that women would be used as objects. All these things he predicted, it all happened. Well, you know what's interesting? In researching for this, I went back and we did a little study. You know, th- there were no Protestant theologians before the Lambeth Conference of 1930 mm-hmm. who approved the use of artificial contraception. As a matter of fact, even Freud, with his, um, some of his mixed-up ideas about human beings, said that contraceptive sex is... Um, it's unnatural. Yeah. Well, we'll have to come back to this after and talk about what I what I discovered that Paul the Sixth wasn't the first person to say what contraception was going to lead to. You might be a little surprised. And who that person is? You're listening to the Bible with the Bar- Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
We got Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest. I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You That's know, right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this, I just want to call all the people. You know, I've got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money, and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We gotta. We have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. Thirty years old, twenty-nine years old, five kids, and I thank you guys. But everybody else, man, get on fire, fight for the truth, man. I know what I'm telling you guys. There's I no love it. Out there. Jesus said in Luke 17, "When you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty." According to St. John of the Cross, God is pleased with the little deeds we do in secret. He takes more pleasure in these than in a multitude of grand works that we may do out of the desire to be seen by others. May God help us to do the things that please Him and not just to appear great in the eyes of others. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. Mary, you said something at the end of the last segment that we'd be surprised about a non-Catholic comments regarding birth control. All right, I'm sitting on my chair. Go ahead and tell us. So one of the bishops at the at the Lambeth Conference, a An- pope, Anglican bishop. This is an Anglican bishop. The Lambeth Conference was the Anglican uh, church getting together and saying, "Well, what do we do in this modern world about you know birth control?" And and th- there were those arguing that for you know for the hard cases, there are some people it's just too hard to have children, and whatever you know, it's, mm-hmm. the woman's health might be in question. There may be you know other issues. Uh, we should allow people to use contraceptives. And one of the bishops there who opposed this idea, he said, you know, if we allow this, this is going to lead to um, homosexuality. Prophetic. And, and the thing is, well, why, why did he make this, 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 you know, as people would say, yeah. quantum leap? Yeah. Why, why did, did he Paul, make the connection? Why did Paul VI make the quantum leap? Well, it's because they went back to the beginning. What did God make? Yeah. God made one man and one woman to be married for life and to be open to life. And when you take... The, the, the thing, our sexuality, first of all, is not an appendage we can cut off. We're either male or female. By the way, it's in the DNA. That's what, how we were made. And you may feel different. You have, may have been molested or abused in life. And as a consequence, you get confused in your gender identity, which is sad. It's a tragic thing. And it's a great, it's a great, great cross to bear. Okay. But it, it, 
those things, uh, you know, abuse and, and um, molestation don't just cause gender confusion. They cause other, other sufferings, too. There are people who don't get gender confusion when they have those things happen to them, but they still suffer, okay? But the reality is, is I'm either male or female. That's who I am. That's what I was made. And so um, God made sexuality and had a purpose. The, in marriage, uh, there was a unique expression of our sexuality, our sexualities are gender identification, but in marriage, there's a unique action, the union of spouses in the conjugal act. Mm -hmm. And its purpose, by its nature, by its nature, its purpose is the procreation of children and the union of spouses. So when you start using barrier methods, then you have not union. When you um, use other methods, then you have not children. <laughs> you can have not children when you use barrier methods too. But, but the church was very clear. And what happens is if you distort what marriage is, you get sexuality wrong. And people have actually said this and argued that, mm -hmm. well, the purpose of sex is pleasure. No, that was not God's purpose. God's purpose was union and procreation. The pleasure is there as a motivating force. Talk to someone who has no sense of smell and ask them how easy it is for them to eat. The purpose of eating is not pleasure. It's to nourish the body. The pleasure is there to encourage us to eat. Exactly. If you have no sense of smell or if you had no taste buds, if you actually had no taste buds and you couldn't taste anything, it becomes very difficult to eat. Okay. And the same, if there were, if there were no pleasure attached to the union of spouses in marriage, it, it would be very difficult to engage in that. And, and besides which, that, that whole union of, is, is designed by God to create a greater bond between the spouses. It creates an intimacy and a bond that once it's created, it's very difficult to break. And so when people are honest and open with each other and really serve each other in marriage, their bond becomes deeper and deeper. And so this Anglican bishop recognized and Paul VI recognized that when you remove the possibility of children from the conjugal act, then the purpose of the conjugal act becomes pleasure. And that's a problem. Because first of all, that's not its purpose. Its purpose is union and procreation. Now, if someone is sterile and they didn't make themselves that way or they had a disease, for instance, they had, you know, a, a cancerous uterus or a, I don't know how bad um, the um, endometriosis can be if they actually have to do a hysterectomy. But there are things that can interfere with a woman's fertility and ability to carry children. If she didn't do that on purpose, if you, she didn't deliberately seek sterilization, then there's no fault on her part. God blesses people with marriage, and not every marriage is blessed with children. That doesn't mean it's not a legitimate marriage, okay? And, and God didn't say you have to have a baby every year. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, read it, women nurse their babies for three years. Three years is what it says in the Bible. So, you know, if people would go back to nursing their children, children would be naturally spaced. There's a lot of talk nowadays about NFP, and yes, it's intrinsically different than contraception, Yes. Because contraception by its nature is intrinsically evil. NFP is using what God has made. It's using the woman's fertility cycle in order to space children. And with the advent of the bottle, it became possible for women to have two babies in one year that weren't twins. Two babies less than 12 months apart from each other that were not twins. 
And I know that because I have a younger brother who's 10 and a half younger than me. 10 and a half 10 months. 10 and a half months younger than right. me. Thank you, months. Yeah. And I have a, a, two sisters who are 10 and a half months apart. Okay. Two babies born in the space of 12 months, not twins. Um, and so, but it, it, my mother wasn't successful at breastfeeding. She tried, but she was out on the farm and she didn't have any help and her milk would dry up and she had to give the baby a bottle. And so NFP gives the possibility of spacing the children so that the ch child's needs are met too. Remember, the child has needs. A baby that's born into this world, it's not an animal. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you for six weeks and then I'm gonna treat you like a little doggy that has to raise itself. No, honey, when you have a baby, you have to raise them for 18 years. You know, and, and if they have, you know, sometimes you, God blesses us with children who have special needs and they will always need us mm. as long as we're alive and as long as they're alive. But the point here, I, I don't want to condemn people because they didn't have a big family. And I don't want to condemn people because they had a big family. And I don't want to condemn people who weren't able to have a family. And the church doesn't. We're open to the possibility of life. That's what the church teaches that every marital act is open to the possibility of life. That means we're not going to do anything deliberate to interfere with God's plan. Now, using natural family planning is not interfering with God's plan. It's using God's plan. Okay? There are, there, the woman has fertile times in her cycle, and she has infertile times. That was God's plan. Yep. And God didn't say you can't have relations just because the woman's in her infertile time. So, And, and St. Paul does says, say that you may restrain from having marital relations in marriage in order to free each other for prayer for a time. You shouldn't do this often or you shouldn't do it um, permanently because it puts a stress on the marriage. The, the union in marriage is important and that conjugal relation, those conjugal relations are important for the intimacy of the spouses and, and helping to, to to foster and, to, and grow the union because that's for the good of the children too. I also want to bring up, Mary, that, you know, people who are 50 years, 60 years old, um, you weren't taught really well regarding life, love and life. And yeah. what was happening in the Catholic Church after Hermana Vitae, there was a complete dissent. Very few bishops would stick with Pope Paul VI on this issue. And I have a book in my hands called Contraception, Authority, and Dissent. Charlie uh, uh, Kern, uh, um, all these dissenters on the teachings of, of Humani Vitae came out and started saying, well, we don't buy natural law. We don't buy all these things. I was reviewing it a little today. And yeah, they, they reject what the church has always taught about uh, natural law and about marriage and just said, no, it's time for us to, you know, they, they tried to inaccurately quote Vatican II as a reason for their dissent. Right, and it's not. You read Vatican II. Vatican II is very clear. And, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church has, in, you know, it quotes Vatican II in, in, in its paragraphs. In, right. in, um, and it quotes Humani Vitae. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that um, what happened... In our world, and that's what you have to look at, is the world situation, the historical context. Well, the Bible says, and always and everywhere only speaks of children as a blessing. That's right. Why does God hate divorce? Because he desires godly children. And divorce produces children who are confused because the marriage is supposed to be the first image of God that people encounter. 
children in their family are supposed to encounter the image of God in marriage. We even call it the domestic church. Amen. And when they don't, they become confused about who God is and how good their father is and how much he loves them. And so, and then in addition to that, we have Psalm, you know, 127 verses three through five. Children are a gift from the Lord, a blessing, the fruit of the womb, like the arrows in the quiver of a warrior. Oh, the happiness of the man who has filled his quiver with these arrows. He will have no cause for shame when he disputes with his foes in the gateway. If you were going into battle and you had a choice between choosing two arrows and a quiverful, what would you choose? You know, seriously. Simple. Simple. You know, if you were making the choice. And this is what the church is talking about. We don't deliberately make the choice to reject God's plan. And God's plan for marriage is that there be a union of the spouses, there be love between the spouses, and that that union be fruitful, that it brings forth children because God is fruitful. And it's interesting because Paul will tell us further in his letter, he says that marriage is an image of the relationship between Christ and his church. Is that relationship sterile? No. Every baptized person is the fruit of the love between Christ and his church. And we are constantly baptizing. And so continually new children are being brought up to God. And so this is, this is what the, 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 the theologians, unfortunately, in you know, the late 1960s, they rejected they did. God's teaching. They rejected the constant tradition of the church. They tried to use excuses. They tried to say, well, you know, it's only because, you know, contraceptives was, was um, associated with witchcraft or, oh, people just didn't know any better in those days. Or people had to have a big family because they lived out on the farm and a lot of p- children died. And so you had to have a big family. And it's like as if somehow having a big family wasn't a blessing from God, which is contrary to Scripture. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Was everybody in the Old Testament blessed with a large family? Now, Jacob had 12 kids. Well, not all from the same wife, unfortunately, but Isaac didn't. Isaac and his wife only had the twins, right? Jacob and Esau. So it's not about the numbers. It's about being open to God's plan, allowing God to be the Lord of your life, the Lord of your marriage. And yes, the Lord in your bedroom, by the way, you know, in your your conjugal union, in your union with your spouse. We'll be back with more. Finish up here. I just want to give you also when we come back some theologians to stay away from. We'll be back with the Bible with the Barber. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. According to St. John Paul II, being a Christian means saying yes to Jesus Christ. It consists in surrendering to the word of God and relying on it, but also endeavoring to know better and better the profound meaning of this word. May God grant that we always rely on his word, read it often, and put it into practice.
How does the baby move in your tummy? How does the baby eat? Can the baby hear me? How did the baby get in there? Wow, a pregnancy can sure generate a lot of questions. But what's important is that a baby is a baby, inside and out of the womb. Not just after birth, but nine months before, at conception. That's right, every baby is a miracle. Hello, my name is Marianne Kloharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance, or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org, or better yet, simply dial pound 250 on your cell phone and say the keyword pro-life. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Pro-Life Across America, the Billboard People. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And Terry promised you before the break, he wants to give you the names of some theologians to avoid and then we'll mention a few to um, to read. Yeah, to read. Well, this is a book that I mentioned earlier, Contraception, Authority, and Dissent. And Father Charles Kern was well-known back in the 60s as a dissenter of Humanae Vitae. And uh, Bernard Herring is another one you want to stay away from. Uh, he's, he's really someone you want to— uh, Dan McGuire is another one that you want to stay away from. These are all professors. Bernard Herring, he was the moral theologian uh, in, in even Rome. These guys, all these were dissenters, and they made a huge impact for us as lay people to follow, and we, they led us into error. And I'm, I'm just saddened that they didn't get reprimanded clear. Uh, I still remember the story, Mary Danielle, that uh, the cardinal in Washington, D.C., uh, when he was fighting with... Charlie Kern. You want to tell that story? You want me? I'll tell the story. Basically, what happened is Charlie Kern was in error, and he wanted to uh, reprimand all these priests that were at the Catholic University. And for some reason, uh, the Vatican did not back Cardinal Boyle. That was the name of the cardinal, God rest his soul, who stood up to these dissenters. And I'm, I'm, that's why it's so hard today in our church where we have dissenters and they're just still letting them go free, which is unfortunate because these people are leading people into error. And this is why I want you to have good theologians like Janet Smith, Monsignor William Smith, um, Scott Hahn, his series on life-giving love is very good. These are people you can trust when it comes to the perennial teachings of the church. And most importantly, read the section in the catechism on marriage. Right. And there, there is a, the, also Kimberly Hahn has written a book on this. That was, was part of, there was the beginning of their conversion as mm-hmm. they were in the seminary. They That's were Protestants right. in a Protestant seminary and they were um, the, in their marriage and family seminar. Um, the, the issue of birth control came up and, and um, 
Kimberly got on that that team that was supposed to present that, and somebody in her group said, well, we don't have to look at the Catholic position because we just know that they want so many kids that they, they're overpopulate everybody else. And Kimberly thought, Kimberly didn't have any anti-Catholic bias. Her parents weren't that way. And so she thought, you can't just write them off like that. So she started looking. And Kimberly was the one, she discovered that not a single Protestant theologian before 1930 defended the use of contraceptives in mm, marriage. That's shocking. And, yeah. and it's interesting because there there's a Christian who's written a book called The Bible and Birth Control, and he gives you the biblical basis, and specifically The Bible and Birth Control is the name of that book. And I've forgotten his name right now, but he gives you, it has a picture on the heart with I remember. a bunch of Scott swords. Hunt, it's still yeah. at it. And, mm-hmm. and it, um, it, 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 a bunch of swords on it. And yep. the deal is the book is still available, mm-hmm. but it shows you the biblical basis right. and, and what um, the Bible teaches. Because there, there are, it's funny, because when I was doing this research for today's show, I found there, there are quite a few now um, more modern Christian theolog- biblical scholars who interpret different passages of the Bible fa- to favor. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens when we sin. If we do not live as we believe, we begin to believe as we live. So when we accept contraceptives as contraception, artificial contraception as a just a norm, like brushing our teeth, this is just a good thing to do, then we begin to see in the word of God things that will back up our belief, our misbelief, yeah. our, our false belief. But in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you want you know to look up the paragraphs on fecundity and marriage, paragraph um, twenty. 366 and following and and also that goes on to the gift of a child and it says you know fecundity is a gift and an end of marriage for conjugal love naturally tends to be fruitful paragraph 2367 called to give life spouses share in the creative power and fatherhood of god 23 um and and just it goes on and then it talks about the child sacred scripture and the church Traditional practice see large families as a sign of God's blessing. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, it was thought a curse if you didn't have children. You know, you have you have um, Sarah telling Abraham, Abraham telling God, well, what if, what's going to happen? You made all these promises to me, but what if I remain childless? Mm-hmm. You know, and Rachel crying to her husband um, Jacob, "Give me a child, or I shall die." You know, and and um, it, it was considered just. Um, a curse not to have children. And nowadays, when the world is more affluent, parents are really more capable um, to to raise a child, have the material means to do so. Now we look on children as a burden to be avoided at all costs. And this is part of the contraceptive mentality, by the way, is seeing children as a burden. Children are not a burden. Children are a gift from the Lord, a blessing the fruit of the womb. Children are a gift from the Lord, a blessing the fruit of the womb. Every child is a gift. And remember, every human person is made in God's image. We were made in the divine image. God made us <clears throat> to image him. And this is what sets us apart from all the other creatures <clears throat> that God made. Because you know, the creation of man marks the completion of God's plan. In presenting the final act of creation, the sacred writer offers us a summary of the things that go to make up the human being, as well as repeating that God created man in his image and likeness. He tells us that God created man and woman, that is to say, corporeal beings endowed with sexuality and designed to live in society. Being in the image of God, the human individual 
possesses the dignity of a person who is not just something, but someone. We are not objects. And this is what happens when you remove the possibility of fruitfulness from sexuality. Then marriage is looked upon as, well, that's not necessary because we're not going to have children anyway, so we can have sex with anybody. Well, that actually degrades the human person because the person is no longer a person to be loved. They become an object to be used. And this is the reason that we have to fight the contraceptive mentality. Yes, and you know what? Abortion is part of it. And yes, abortion, believe me, Planned Parenthood promotes abortion as a backup contraceptive. That's right. Oh, if we just had more contraceptives, we wouldn't have to have abortion. No, actually, if we have more contraceptives, there will be more need for abortion. And they knew this. This was a deliberate plan. So you see, when you reject the child, you begin to reject everything that God made. What's interesting about that is that in the Gospel of Luke, you know, when Jesus says, suffer the little children to come to me, Mm -hmm. and he says, let the little children come to me. In the Gospel of Luke, the word he uses there for the child is the exact same word he uses for Jesus as the infant in the crib in Bethlehem. So that every time you reject the child, you're rejecting Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's, remember, it's not, it's not the Old Testament, the New Testament, somehow that, you know, the, and never the twain shall meet. No. The whole Old Testament is a prefigurement of the coming of Christ. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of the old. It's a fulfillment of all the promises in the old. From the first word of Genesis to the last word of the book of Revelation, Every word of scripture is about Jesus Christ and his coming. He is the savior. He is our savior. But we need to live according to God's law. You know, we need to be prudent like that steward in today's gospel. We need to be prudent, but prudent in the ways of God, in the ways of our salvation, in the ways of saving our souls. And like Paul warns us in his, in his their, their, their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Isn't that the world we live in? where they tout the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the media, the movies, the entertainments, the music people listen to, it, it flaunts this use of the human person as an object for my pleasure. No, this isn't godly, and it's not dignified. Men are not animals to be reduced to their passions. Men can control themselves. They can exercise control. And as a matter of fact, they become more manly and more godly when they do. They become animal-like when they don't. And the same is true for women. We can control ourselves. We can practice self-control and discipline and make sacrifices. And isn't that the word people don't want to hear? The cross of Christ, the sacrifice. We're supposed to be uniting ourselves to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember what Paul resolved? He went up to Athens and he tried to use all this worldly wisdom to convert the Athenians, all their, quoted their poets and talked about their unknown God and blah, blah, blah. And he didn't make very many converts in Athens. And so then he went down to Corinth, the Corinth, the armpit of the world, the Corinthians, the broken mass of humanity who had lost their sense of dignity and had no clue about their sexuality. You know, Corinth, Corinth was, they had, it was, it was a port city. You had two ports. And you had this army of longshoresmen who would carry the ships on the rails from one port to the other because during the winter months, you couldn't sail a ship around 
the isthmus of the, of the Peloponnesian Peninsula. You had to pull it across. And so, you know, the, the joke was, um, it's believed historically that, that venereal disease originated in Corinth. And the joke was, you know, if you were a Corinthian girl, that meant you were a prostitute for hire. Um, it, you know, it was, was it, was it every Corinthian woman had two sailors or every sailor had two women? Yeah, it was hard to judge. That is where Paul went and he resolved, I will speak to you of nothing but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jesus told him, I have many friends in this city, mm-hmm. in that broken mass of humanity. So I'm not condemning anyone for their sexual orientation or the, the sins that we've committed. No, I'm saying Jesus Christ can free us from all of that. And that's what we want. We want to know God can give us the freedom to live as his children, as his dearly beloved children, like him, being fruitful and multiplying, being self-giving, surrendering our own desires, our own even wants in order to serve our neighbor, not in a sinful manner. You know, it's like, you know, if my neighbor wants to have relations with me, um, no, you're not my husband. I have a husband and, and I don't, you know, need, there's not, you know, I can serve your family. I can, you know, give your family food if you need food. My husband and I can, but my husband and I together do that. But I'm not here to, to be drawn into sin with someone. So we reject sin. We don't condemn the sinner. Jesus Christ came to save us all, and we're all sinners, by the way. We're all in this together. <laughs> you know, it's not like all those horrible people out there and this, this good lady here. No, it's, we're all sinners. Yep. We're all sinners. We all need the mercy of God. And I might just add, if you haven't been to confession in a while, like all of us, we need to go to the sacrament of reconciliation on a regular basis. Because I don't think we'd have the grace to say no to ourselves if we're not practicing our faith. I mean, think that's the key. You say, well, I can't do that. You can. Because yes, the grace will be there once you live in the state of grace and constantly try to live that Christ-centered life. The graces will be there for you to say yes. The grace is there for the asking. Ask God for the grace. Go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. At least once a month, St. John Paul II said, go to Mass and receive Holy Communion in the state of grace. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. (laughs) Matter of fact, the Bible says pray always. So make everything you do a prayer. Make it all a prayer. We can make it all a prayer. That's right. Thanks again for joining us here on The Bible with the Barbers. Hope to see you again next week, same time, same Christ station. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.